Welcome to a Jewish Boston and Israel 360 joint podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Dan Seligson. As an old saying or curse goes, may you live in interesting times. And these are, for better or for worse, very interesting times, especially in Israel. Consider the past month or so. Israel celebrated its 70th birthday. The U.S. opened an embassy in Jerusalem. Guatemala did the same. The U.S. withdrew from the Iran deal. Iran, from Syria, attacked Israel and missed. Israel attacked Iran in Syria and hit. Hamas instigated a series of deadly riots on the Gaza border, resulting in the IDF killing dozens of Hamas operatives trying to breach Israel's border fence. Then, Hamas and other Islamic militant groups fired mortars and rockets at Israel, causing damage to property, but thankfully not people. These are certainly, for lack of a better word, interesting times. To help us better understand what exactly is going on, we have with us Peter Lerner, an internationally recognized analyst, communicator, and retired IDF lieutenant colonel. Peter served as the IDF's chief foreign spokesperson during the 2014 war with Hamas, answering endless questions from media around the world and never losing his cool. Before we get into this interview, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts, and follow at Jewish Boston and at Israel360 on social media. Peter, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you. It's great to be here. Let's start with a piece you just published in Haaretz. Uh, in the midst of a conflict with Hamas that's been dragging on for quite a while now. Um, You've brought up the idea that Israel uh, should engage with Hamas to avoid war. How controversial is that idea and approach in Israel right now? Well, I would say, first of all, from the reactions I've had to the post or to the the, uh, article, it seems to be very controversial. I think, uh, and understandably, but because, you know, somebody saying, let's sit down and try and think of a way to talk with a terrorist organization is a bit uh, out there in definitely in this Israeli dialogue and, and not only in Israel because I've had I've had comments from across the globe uh, but I do think that the, the, this time and where we are in this period of time and the nature of security and the situation and the developments just over the last two and a half months around the Gaza Strip and the reality with Abu Mazen and his health which is failing in, in the West Bank and Yudan Shomron means that we need to be I would say, you know, I'm serving in the military for such a long time, it was always leading from the front. And I think we have to set down a vision what we want to do with with the Gaza Strip. They're not going to disappear. And on, on one hand, and on the other hand, we have you know, 17 years of people living under the, the direct threat of ro- rockets and mortars. So we can't ignore them. And we've been ignoring them for since 2007. So mm-hmm. I think it's time to do some engagement, either with diplomacy, with third parties, uh, mediators. I, I, there needs to be something that ha- has to shift on the ground, and I think it's in, in Israel's best security interest to do so. 
The international outcry against Israel uh, regarding the actions on the Gaza border has been very severe, blaming the IDF for the casualties, but not mentioning the rioters planting bombs, uh, the Molotov cocktails trying to breach the border, flying kites with explosives that have created significant environmental damage to farmland and wildlife. What are Israel's rights here, and what is the IDF's responsibility to minimize loss of life even during a violent riot? So I think from my experience, what I've seen and how the IDF uh, can conduct itself in this type, these types of situations, the standing orders are to limit the um, use of lethal force mm -hmm. uh, only when it's absolutely necessary. And the developments that have, created, that have you know, evolved over the last two and a half months on the border with Gaza have been one where you know, the fence is there. Mm -hmm. uh, but that fence, the fence that is being, whether the Palestinians are trying to tear it down, um, that is the last line of defense between them and you know, 4,000 Israelis living within a three-kilometer radius. Um, so as such, there is a, a need for defense of that border, especially in, in, on the level of the hostilities that are taking place on the other side uh, of the fence. So... Um, I don't see that Israel has any real other option today on, on the ground, and I don't envy any of the mm -hmm. soldiers that have to con are confronted with the challenge um, and the commanders that have to decide uh, what to do. Now, the, the reality of, of battlefield, of the arena, is a really complex one, mm -hmm. um, but there is really no alternative to defending that line of defense because if the fence is torn down as they wish to do so, the, then it jeopardizes the lives of thousands of Israelis, and that's just unacceptable. Right. So speaking of uh, terrorist groups, what's your take on the reports that Iran and its proxy Hezbollah might abandon Syrian bases near the Israeli border? So this is a recent development, but if I uh, um, take you back perhaps to August 2017, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu sat down with uh, Putin in Sochi, um, during, his, during the summer holidays. And what Netanyahu actually asked back then was that um, Russia be involved in preventing Iranian presence uh, in Syria. And Putin at the time said, well, I'm not getting involved, but I won't get in your way if you want to deal with it. And basically since then, we've seen repeated rumors of, of the IDF uh, conducting strikes within Syria against Iranian um, forces or proxies or positions uh, and of course that last month that was the highlight of that when we had a huge exchange um, and, and over 50 targets that were of Iranian uh, uh, interests in Syria and I think that the, the, the world has come to realize that uh, an Iranian presence in Syria is bad so I definitely think you know the, the types of things that we've just seen over the last couple of days coming out of France and Germany and, and the UK with uh, Netanyahu's visit there, I think definitely we're seeing a more awareness on behalf of the world powers that Iran is negative presence in Syria and therefore it needs to be dealt with. Um, but again, I don't necessarily believe that there will be actually something done unless there is this looming threat of mysterious explosions that take place. Um, so as long as those continue, I, I expect that, that uh, um, you know, if there is a process where 
Iran rolls back to the 70 kilometer line from the border with Israel, which was what actually was requested last year. Uh, that might be a good thing, but I think the, the statements that are now coming out from, from Israel is, you know, we're not willing to have any sort of Iranian military presence in Syria whatsoever. And therefore, I think for the foreseeable future, we will continue to have these types of uh, mysterious explosions. So, Peter, let's say the the rumors that these mysterious explosions that took place at Iranian installations in Syria could have potentially have been caused by Israeli airstrikes. If if let's say that that were the case, uh, Israel, if it was Israel, really did some damage to Iran. And this proxy war that has been going on between Israel and Iran for a long time evolved into a direct confrontation. How did this change the power equation if, if there ever you know, was such a thing between the two countries? And what, what was the lesson that Iran got from this, assuming again that it was Israel? So we know for sure that some of it at least was Israel because uh, Israel made an announcement, the IDF made an announcement uh, outlining the types of uh, positions and, and components of the um, Iranian presence in Syria and the targets that were just taken out. So at least we know some of it. And I think what, what we can learn from, first of all, is the fact that Iran still were not set up in the magnitude that they wanted to be in Syria. So we didn't see a substantial response from them. Um, and it goes to show also the level of uh, operational capability of the IDF on one hand and the depth of intelligence on the other hand. So I would say Iran learned that basically they were taking a shower in front of us and they are completely exposed in a way where uh, the IDF um, can, uh, if it chooses to do so, uh, based on instruction of the government, conduct military operations against their presence. So, of course, from their perspective, they have to think twice. Are they going to continue with this endeavor? If so, what will they have to do to try and conceal it? And if they fail in concealing it, to what extent are they willing to pay, pay time and time again? Um, I think it's, it is in Israel's interest that Iran stays 2,000 kilometers away from Israel and not be just over the border fence. This spring was one of great significance for Israel. The United States opened an embassy in Jerusalem, then Guatemala did the same. As an Israeli, what does this mean to you? I was, um, you know, it, it was, it did give a great sense of um, recognition and pride. I lived a lot of my uh, younger years in Jerusalem, so I always felt a deep connection that Jerusalem is our capital and everything seemed to, from my perspective, even as a young child, evolve around Jerusalem anyway. Uh, so I can't say from a personal perspective that it, it made much difference, but of course the declaration and the action, uh, I think it goes to show lots of developing friendships, which I think of course are good. Um, I think. But from my perspective, we need to be cautious about the way it's embraced. And I think uh, the ideas that the relationships that Israel has with the world need to be um, you know, across the board and not, can't be politically party focused. And I think there is some danger in, in the way some of those developments are happening. Uh, but um, so from, from my perspective, it was great sense of pride to see um, huge celebrations in Israel and in Jerusalem. But of course, that was tarnished with what was going on on the border with Gaza on the same day. Uh, so we have to keep that in mind. And that's why I think we need to be a bit cautious of how we 
celebrate and and and, and channel that energy so that it doesn't actually uh, end up as a, a very extremely controversial point. So five other countries have said they're planning on doing the same in terms of moving their embassies in the very near future. Do you think we're going to see this trend continue? Um, I'm not certain. I think that there, there is perhaps some hope, and I'm sure the uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs and the Prime Minister's office will be trying to convince more and more uh, countries to come. Um, I don't necessarily believe that that will actually happen with haste. Um, and again, I think the, the reality and the, the security situation, and the uh, public stand, standing of what's going on here means that people are going to be a bit more cautious, I think. So how, if at all, does does this growing international recognition of the status of Jerusalem alter the peace process going forward? Peace. What peace process? I think oh, probably would great be the question. biggest question. <laughs> uh, I, I think the, this is a, this is why I think um, we are at the crossroads of an interesting period, where the prospects of peace and who do we do peace with? With Mahmoud Abbas, who is 83 years old, with uh, failing health situation. Um, he has actually been good for Israel's security, not out of the love of Israel, but out of the interest of the Palestinian Authority. Um, but whoever replaces him or succeeds him um, is unclear that he will continue the same policies that Abu Mazen himself conducted with regard to um, security coordination and combating Hamas. Um, so that's on one hand of the situation. So if there's no prospects of a peace process, then there really isn't anything in the way of moving forward with these types of things. And that's why I, I would say, yeah, perhaps there's an opportunity, but is it going to be building uh, walls instead of bridges? And I think we need to try and seek for the bridges. So uh, speaking of bridges, I've seen an analysis that referred to Israel as, quote, the first Sunni Jewish country in the Middle East. What are we seeing in terms of the uh, I don't know if you, what you call it, a thaw between Israel and Saudi Arabia and some other countries in the region. I think we're living in unbelievable times in that regard. I think there's so much going on and the reality where uh, Israel versus Iran and Saudi Arabia versus Iran means that Israel and Saudi Arabia are versus Iran together is a really interesting thing. And when, when the chief of staff, uh, Lieutenant General uh, Gadi Eisenkot, said last year that he would be willing to share intelligence with Saudi Arabia, I think that just goes to show where things can actually move for. I do think, however, that until there is some sort of uh, progress or process or even an implication of some sort of peace process, there will always be the sticking point in taking the relationship to the next level. I think where we look at uh, our neighbors like Jordan and Egypt and we see negotiated agreements of uh, peace um, that have actually developed, I think that is what is actually required in our neighborhood with the Palestinians. Uh, but it just, there's no nobody really to move forward with that. And that, I think, from an international and definitely regional perspective is always going to be something that impedes on the possibility to move forward. But it's, it's not only Saudi Arabia, it's other Gulf states and there are opportunities and there are understandings and there are commercial dealings, um, mostly indirectly, but it does happen. And I think that that is actually a reality that can be, can be good and nurtured and perhaps lay the grounds for a more substantial relationship in the future. Is there the possibility that a country like Saudi Arabia could decide, listen, that this Palestinian issue is not going to be resolved anytime soon yet, 
our strategic and economic relationship with Israel need to continue to grow. Let's just put aside the Palestinian thing and completely normalize relations with Israel. Is that a possibility, or do you think that, you know, for the the street, they need to hold on to the idea that until the conflict is solved, real peace is not possible? No, I think that it will actually be limited in scope because of the prospects or no, non-prospects of peace. Uh, I think in order for it to move forward in any sort of type of uh, development of substantial relationship, uh, there are things that we will be able to talk talk about that will share both Israel's and and perhaps Saudi Arabia's interests, but not necessarily actually develop beyond that. So just kind of getting to um, a little bit looking forward in, in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, the summer tends to be the time when tensions flare up, and they already have, between uh, Hamas and Israel in in the south. Do you see the possibility looming of a, a larger conflict between Israel and Hamas this summer? I think we're the closest we've ever been in the last four years to a, a new confrontation, a new war with Hamas in the Gaza Strip. Um, the nature of how the IDF is defending its borders and how uh, they are responding afterwards with huge volleys of rockets and mortar fire against Israeli communities in southern Israel. And we are living in a time where the dynamics of escalation are ever prominent. And that means that one action leads to another reaction, and that could actually deteriorate into another war. I think everybody, or there's no real interest on either side, as we saw in the attempts to try and create some sort of ceasefire last week um, and and prevented an escalation. But all it takes is for a mortar bomb to land on a a kindergarten when it's full of people. Uh, And that, I think, is really the the challenge. When you throw something up in the air and you hope it lands on somebody, but it lands on a kindergarten or it, 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 it does huge damage. Or Israel responds and conducts a strike and, and that strike causes um, deaths that were not planned because this is the nature of, of the battlefield because our, the terrorist organizations and our enemies as a whole always seem to position themselves within the civilian arena, within uh, densely populated areas. Um, so there's a chance that an action could lead to a reaction that could lead to another reaction, and therefore we'll find ourselves in, possibly in that type of conflict. Um, nobody really wants it. I mean, we love our summer holidays here in Israel. You know, we have lovely beaches and restaurants and, and what, what have you. Uh, but I think the military need to be prepared for that reality. And uh, from my experience, that is what they're probably doing. Well, we are all hoping and praying for a peaceful summer and a period much longer than that. Uh, Peter, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today and um, working with us to overcome the challenges of having a communication between Boston and Israel. Uh, It's been fascinating talking to you. Thanks so much. It's great to be here.